This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 197, about Daredevil, season 3, episode 11, Reunion. Welcome back, fellow Defenders, to Defenders TV Podcast episode 197, and we are talking about Reunion. Yes, Daredevil Season 3, Episode 11. I am one of your hosts, John. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. And I trust these fellow Defenders and my co-host to say I am Chris. He is Chris. Yes, you welcome are back, Chris. Chris. <laughs> I am. We hey, are that's Chris. A, that's a callback to the last scene in the episode. Come mm-hmm. on. I thought I was being clever. <laughs> I thought you were just going to do, and I get to say, and rounding out the group, it's Chris. Yeah, I, I'm trying to shake things up a bit, you know? Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. Steady. You trust us, so you're going to tell us that your name is Chris. That's what you're yes, trying exactly. to I get you. Exactly. Yes. It wasn't just a really bad attempt to call back to the episode, I swear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, you are Chris. Don't you go changing, Chris. Aw, don't go changing. I don't know what song that is. It just knows sounds like a lyric. You know, I did joke about this before, Chris. I'm not sure whether I left it into the actual podcast uh, in the past. But what I love when you remember a song is that you never remember the tune. So we never have to pay for rights when you sing along. It's great. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I could be on YouTube and there'd be no copyright strikes. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but, gentlemen, we are on 311. We are on episode 11 of season 3 of Daredevil Reunion. And we get our big reunion in this episode. It's only been 11 episodes this season where we have not had Foggy, Matt and Karen on screen together. Exactly. Finally get it this time. And we also get a smile out of Matt Murdock as well. For the first time in about two seasons, other than in flashbacks, Mm -hmm. uh, we get a smile off him. Hooray! I know. I'm so happy. This. I'm so happy to see a happy Matt. Like it, It sounds so bad, but... It, it wasn't until this episode that I went, oh, yeah, this is the Matt Murdock slash Daredevil I enjoy. This is the guy who I'm like, this is my character. He's like, he's ha- sometimes happy, smiley, but he's not the emo, broody guy. Yeah. He's not Bruce Wayne, right? No, exactly. <laughs> and and the, the, the weird thing about it was that with the whole, like, reunion of the, the group back together, like, you know, kind of like ourselves, the, the, the threesome, um, followed by him cracking a smile, then it kind of made me really sad. I almost teared up because it was so happy. It was tears of joy, but nonetheless... Matt's smile made me weep. It did make me want to go all the way back to season one, all the way through to now, and just fast forward through it and find out when the last time you actually smiled was. <laughs> but if you want to hear our thoughts on any of the episodes of Daredevil so far, or any of the episodes of Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, all of our comics podcasts, make sure you subscribe to the podcast over at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Uh, we only have two more episodes left of this season, and then we'll be going into comic book mode until Punisher comes out, hopefully early next year. We still have no confirmation as to when that show is coming out, but we're hoping it's in 2019 at least. Uh, so uh, even if Punisher does come out in 2018, we will be covering it in 2019, guys, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> even Defenders need a holiday. Yes. Yes. We've got to take time off at Christmas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is a lot of comic books to read. Exactly. we got to catch up. Yes, indeed. Before we get into this episode, a quick public service announcement. We had previously announced that we were going to be covering a particular comic on our next Strange Tales doubleheader with, uh, with the next Doctor Strange comic. We said we were going to be covering the Captain Marvel prelude comic to the Captain Marvel movie. Um, 
Do not buy this comic. Uh, it's a public service announcement for me. I read it this week. It came out on uh, Wednesday, the 14th of November. Um, it is a, absolutely just a rehash of everything that happened in the previous uh, movies, <laughs> except done in dialogue between Maria Hill and Nick Fury. My favorite character, Nick Fury, remember? I'm telling you, favorite character, Nick Fury. But it is literally them talking to each other about what has happened in the movies. What I was expecting to happen was something like the Doctor Strange prelude comic where we saw the backstory of Caecilius, for example, um, which was something that was not actually covered in the film in the end, nothing that was in there, but a nice little backstory as to why Caecilius was doing what he was doing. What I was hoping for was maybe why did Nick Fury disappear and what he's been doing for the years in between his last appearance in the, in the cinema uh, back in Civil War and his most recent appearance in uh, Infinity War. But we get none of that. It is literally them looking on as the Avengers do their thing and writing a story uh, telling you what happened in the movie. So total waste of money. We will absolutely not be covering it uh, on Strange Tales. We'll find another comic to cover. Is there a second version? Part two? No, weirdly, on Comixology, because we have to buy our comics digitally, unfortunately, it does say it's part one of two, but this book ends with, and this story will be continued in the cinema. So part two of this two-part comic book <laughs> is going to be on screen in the cinema. I haven't I haven't read it yet, but um, Derek, I presume this is not a defend of this prelude comic um, <laughs> leading up to Captain Marvel. I would go so far as to say this is a cash grab and Marvel don't actually do that very often. They actually do put some thought into how they'll sell their comic books, especially coming up to a movie with a brand new character that none of us have seen. I saw Marvel tweet out on Wednesday saying, find out the reason why Nick Fury called Captain Marvel. And you know why he called her? Because of the post credit scene in Infinity Ward, which has just been translated into three panels of this comic book. That's the reason he called her. Shock horror. There's no extra story in here. Very unhappy. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, no, that's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So uh, so we will be back with Strange Tales at the end of the month uh, when we get our next issue of Doctor Strange. And I think actually that is going to be the 200th episode of Defenders TV podcast is actually going to be a comic book review. Woo! How weird is that? It's a Doctor Strange one as well. Chris, you'll have to come on board. Mm -hmm. Read some Strange. Yes. I will. Well, we need you. We need you on. Maybe you can choose the other comic that we cover on Defenders TV podcast for our 200 issue of uh, Ooh, the podcast. Yeah. Maybe you can decide what the other issue that we should be covering is, Chris. Ooh. There you go. Have a think about that one, Chris, and uh, come back to us. We'll see what happens. That sounds very good. I'm down. So really what you should be doing is spending your money on Daredevil 611, which came out this week, or Daughters of the Dragon number one, the brand new Marvel Digital First comic, which is really enjoyable seeing Misty Knight and Colleen Wing, the comic book versions of both of those characters together again in their first digital arc. Uh, we also have Iron Fist, The Phantom Limb Part 2, which came out this week, a nice horror comic starring uh, Iron Fist, obviously Danny Rand, uh, as described by our friends over in the Iron Fist podcast reviewing this book this is an iron fist book set in a doctor strange world so uh, i know you're gonna like it john and i've been really enjoying it i well i really enjoyed the the first uh digital copy mm -hmm. uh, of what well, issue one which was like chapters one and two one and two yes um so that was really really good so yeah looking forward to uh issue number two excellent anyway back to regular service Public service announcement. I feel like we should now like warn of impending hurricanes or something. And now for the shipping forecast. <laughs> so yes, let's get on with our spoiler-filled review before the Punisher comes out uh, in the next five minutes as the, <laughs> the release fest that is Marvel Netflix continues in 2018. Let's hope not. And we get a nice steady 2019 release for the Punisher. 
So, Derek, what are some of the episode details for this episode of Daredevil? Well, great news. This episode was directed by some other people who've worked on these shows before. Uh, episode was directed by Jack Wilkinson, an Australian director we spoke about quite a few times before. Uh, directed Iron Fist, Season 1, Episode 9, The Mistress of All Agonies. Jessica Jones, Season 2, Episode 6, aka FaceTime. And Punisher, Season 1, Episode 12, Home. So, first time on Daredevil, but has directed many of the other shows on Netflix. And the episode was written by Jim Dunn and Dara Resnick. We spoke about Jim Dunn as the writer of episode two of this series, and Dara Resnick was the writer of episode eight as well. So uh, they've both been involved in this series already. So um, so one of the other cool things about the writing staff on this show, it seems like as it's going towards the end of the series, we're starting to see some of the writers pair up with each other uh, to write the bigger episodes as we get towards the end, which is quite cool. Yeah, and you can really see that in this episode because they're pulling threads that were started in episode two, started in episode eight, and they're kind of closing them to a degree here. Mm -hmm. I believe it was Mark Bernard on Fat Man on Batman when he was in the writer's room for Castle Rock, which is the Stephen King uh, TV show that he was uh, one of the writers on. Mm -hmm. He he talks about how they kind of pair up and then you you put storylines out there and then the next part is that everyone's kind of going, okay, well, we're going to give you episode nine and these are the main story beats you want to hit yeah and then if your story beats kind of your story lines or story beats continue later on you do then pair up so it seems that this is becoming the norm which i'm a fan of because someone will have a vision of okay i really want the story this story piece to kind of go this way and that way and have sprinkled throughout a couple of the episodes but the main kind of chunk of it is in episode X that I'm writing. Yeah. But then when it comes back later, I can be part of it. Well, these aren't standalone stories. So actually, I always think it must be even more difficult for for these types of shows to say this episode was written by this one person because most people, there's, you know, 12 or 13 people writing an entire season of the show and they all contribute to it. It's just who breaks the story and who takes it at home at night to write up the actual full end-to-end of the show. So interesting to see it that they're starting to pair some people together. But John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Special Agent Poindexter tries to run his prey to ground as, led by Ray Nadim, the FBI searches for Matt Murdock and Karen Page at the scene of the church crime. But both Matt and Karen remain hidden and safe with Sister Maggie's help, just as Nadim's conscience kicks in. He allows Foggy Nelson to surrender Karen to the NYPD, which distracts the FBI long enough to also allow Matt Murdock to escape the church. Meanwhile, the Justice Department drops all charges against Wilson Fisk, who both announces his freedom to the public and attempts to retrieve a very special gift for Vanessa, who is on her way back to New York. As a reunited Matt, Foggy and Karen plan their next moves, their first call is to save Ray Nadim and his family from the wrath of Wilson Fisk. After Daredevil helps Nadim fight off FBI agents loyal to Fisk, he gains Agent Nadim's trust with an unexpected move. So yes, big reveal at the end of this, not to the audience, obviously, mm-hmm. but to Raina Deem, yeah. who is looking a little uh, shell-shocked, for sure. Gosh, I'm not going to say that too often, to be honest. Um, but yeah, uh, really kind of interesting ending here. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of quite liked it, although I did feel sorry for Raina Deem, given that you know he didn't seem as though he came across too disloyal, uh, and I am absolutely sure that Wilson Fisk, surely his tentacles must stretch to the NYPD. So um, it was a little um, harsh, I think, on Ray Nadine being singled out for what I thought was uh, Poindexter's um, failure to kill off his prey at the first attempt. Mm-hmm. That kind of leads us straight into case note number one. Dex Devil loses his prey. Yeah. 
he doesn't achieve his goal. Obviously, at the end of the last episode, we saw that he didn't achieve his goal of killing Daredevil. So we see that at the start of this episode, him escaping from the church in so much anger. I have to say, this is one of my favorite scenes of the episode. As he walks down the side alley, takes off the mask and throws it at a wall. Two innocents walk out of a, a restaurant, uh, look like some kind of porters working for a restaurant. He sees them and kills both of them because they've seen him without the mask on. But it's a release of tension as well for Dex. Um, pretty violent guy, this guy. Yeah, and what I've noticed is that they're ramping up on the that sound of the flies kind of buzzing to show his psychosis ramping up and ramping down. Right. But they jumped back quickly in some of the previous episodes, and it was never as loud as it's been mm-hmm. in these episodes. So they're using sound really cleverly here. So they're actually the, turning the volume of this nothing, this kind of sound of fly flies flying. I don't know how to kind of really describe it best right but it's just very interesting to see that they're really using that same way they use the camera for matt to kind of uh they blur it in and out the focus shifts Mm -hmm. to to kind of show his hearing they're using sound here to show dex's psychosis yeah yeah did he pick up the mask again yes he did yes i did check that because i was wondering it was like that's a really stupid thing to do to leave a mask full of his blood at this stage because he's been punched and hit a couple of times by karen and, and matt um but yes, he, it's the first thing he puts in the car when he gets in behind Ray is the, is the mask. But those shots of the two bottles to the uh, innocent porters behind him, I love that. I loved seeing that. It feels really like the, the bullseye that we've seen in the past. He throws one and it's targeted. The second one he just throws behind him and it lands straight and kills the guy uh, directly behind him as well. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It's kind of like uh, the action sequences from the 80s where kind of cool guys don't look at explosions as they walk away (laughs) but i i loved it in just terms of as you said it was just that such a for a second i was thinking oh he's just gonna walk away he's gonna leave that guy alone that's not dex and then it was just a flick of the wrist Mm -hmm. and i'm like oh dead guy (laughs) but it makes sense again he's in the daredevil costume if anybody ever finds out that dex is in this costume that's the entire plan ruined he may not have killed Matt Murdock this time, but if somebody finds out that somebody else is in that costume, that's the whole plan of Fisk ruined. So, of course, he's going to kill somebody. It makes loads of sense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I really like, um, you know, the fact that, as you say, it is that release of pressure as well for him. Um, like, I love how Wilson Bethel really shows the frustration that he has when he doesn't get that kill. Not only here, not killing uh, Karen Page, but then later on, when he goes for Sister Maggie, I, I think that's a really great moment where he does that primal scream, uh, that real guttural noise in, in the back of the van. Mm-hmm. Although I do happen to think that his colleagues would hear him on the outside and they were like, okay, Dex is having another one of his turns or something. Yeah, yeah. But I think um, Wilson Bethel here, he just shows the the frustration um, and that release so so good and it's either through this scream or through killing uh, as he likes to do and mm-hmm. um, you you really sense that and coupled to as you say Chris with that kind of buzzing fly sound um it's just a real nice um, character trait that they really gel together here for yeah. the, for this character of Bullseye and Poindexter. Yeah, yeah. Like over the course of the episode, we see why it's building up. We see over and over again, things are just not going well. He's put Ray in charge of the investigation in the church, but that's not actually working out very well for, for uh, Dex at all. 
Ray is doing things that Dex wouldn't do. Um, we have that moment with uh, Maggie where she's kind of leading them on a wild goose chase around around the place going, it just through this gate here. And then she can't open the door with the keys and then the keys drop to the ground, you know, um, all that kind of stuff where you can just see the red blood rising in Dex as everything's getting worse and worse for him. And worst of all, we have Foggy arriving uh, to the church on at the call from from Matt to give Karen over to the NYPD. This is the thing that pushes him right over the edge here. He thinks he's done the smartest play here by putting the FBI in charge of the church. Yes, Foggy's found a loophole because he's a lawyer and gotten Karen away from away from there. It's just Dex's face as he steps up after mm-hmm. Karen. I in in my head I did think this was the turning point. I thought this is where Dex suddenly goes on a rampage mm. where it's gonna, he, he's gonna whip out his gun. He's gonna start firing. He's gonna kill police. He's gonna kill some FBI and he's gonna take another shot at Karen. Yeah. Cause that is the lazy writer's kind of go to option. How do I conclude the story and make everyone believe Matt and Karen? Well, just have Dex kind of reveal himself mm-hmm. by shooting everyone. Like that would have been quite easy and that would have solved a lot of problems. Obviously, I'm so glad they didn't. Yeah. Uh, because it gives us this later part. Let's hope that doesn't happen in episode 13, though, Chris. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> because obviously, we don't watch ahead. We don't know what actually happens with the character of Dex later on in the season. But yeah, you may have, uh, have guessed that that might be the way he could go at the end of the season. Um, I know exactly what you mean. And I know what you, you were talking about as well, John. That moment where he's looking at Karen and the moment where he's looking at Maggie just seems like two moments where he could just crack and go, even if I just accomplished this goal, even if I just achieve this moment of today that I felt I was going to achieve by killing Karen Page, even if it is in front of everybody in the FBI, even if it's in front of everybody in the NYPD, at least everything will be back in its ordered state, which is what I need to not go absolutely crazy here. You know? Exactly. It's it's his OCD mm-hmm. and he should have done this thing and he hasn't. And Chris, of course, speaking of OCD, uh, what were your thoughts on Wilson Fisk's suit? My OCD flared up even higher today in the, <laughs> this episode because for some reason, Fisk, even when he knew he was going out to a press conference, mm-hmm. his collars were still misaligned. <laughs> <laughs> but he was wearing his black shirt, the, the white um, waistcoat, the white jacket, and then a black jacket on top. And I was like, that's balling. You're styling right now. Like, mm-hmm. Fisk yeah. has a tailor. He knows it. And then it was still just slightly askew. I'm like... Ah, come on now. <laughs> the weird thing is, my OCD wasn't necessarily flaring up here, but certainly what was, was just good design taste, and that crazy paving of a wall on Ray Nadim's house, I was like, that was straight out of, like, Coronation Street or something. <laughs> I was like, what did you do? Mm-hmm. Like, forget about the pool, Ray sort out the plastering on the front of your house and hide that crazy paving. It's like as if they just got that cheap plastic cladding <laughs> and horrendous. stuck it on upside down. It's, it's like they didn't actually know how to put plastic cladding on the outside of the house. But we're going all over the place, guys. Let's get on to case that number two. Fisk is free. He's finally gotten himself free from uh, these charges and and is still living in the penthouse apartment of, of the hotel, right? Yeah, to uh, do what he wants to do. So interesting. Nice 90s throwback yeah, there, John. Exactly. Good stuff. Um, so Fisk is, gets all the charges dropped because he's claiming he was set up, right? I was talking to John, and John wasn't too sure about this, Chris. I'm going to bring you in on this question. So he's claiming that the reason why um, everything happened to him when he went to prison is because Daredevil set him up. He's framed Daredevil 
by having Dex Devil attack uh, the Bulletin and attack the church. And now he's got evidence that Matt was in the building, uh, in the hotel where he's staying. Uh, is this the reason why he's getting away with it? Is this the reason that because Matt went to the hotel that he now has proof that this was all set up by Matt and that he did nothing, it was all fake news, as he says quite eloquently in his speech. What do you think, Chris? Uh, I don't think so. I think he's keeping the Matt part to himself. I think this is very much the FBI is working for Fisk now. But we we know that there's only about 10 members of the FBI working for Fisk. It's not the entire FBI, of course, but there's nobody that is working for him that has the power to get him free, especially to put him on a stage in front of the press and say he's free. You know, people have been able to release him for a day and that kind of stuff. But even Tammy, I know she heads up Ray Nadim's team, but it feels like they're saying to him, actually, there's enough evidence now or enough claim now to say that you can uh, call out the other side. Like, for example, Ben Donovan goes, uh, when he gets released, he goes, the FBI are releasing him because of the embarrassment that would be to them if he's killed in their custody. But I think that's it. It's Ben Donovan proclaims this. Mm. Ultimately, Wilson Fisk comes in on his coattails and, and says, you know, I'm a free man and you might not like this. But he is lawyered up as well. I think it's more that he has kind of said, or his lawyers have said that he was framed mm-hmm. in his um arrest by Daredevil. And he says people within the organizations um, through kind of lies and, and false spins. And that's why he's in there. I, and I think then it's that the lawyers ha- have rocked on in, plus he's done this deal. So maybe just the whole lot of it, uh, plus with what's going on with Daredevil, that strengthens their argument that he was set up mm-hmm. by Daredevil. And so that's why. Yeah. There's a lot of leaps of writing faith here yeah. based on the knowledge we know and are kind of inferred from the previous episodes. Mm-hmm. There does feel like there's one or two scenes probably kind of cut or at least trimmed. So the scene where Tommy is kind of taking him off before the press conference, mm-hmm. it seems like some of the nar- the narrative of the dialogue was probably trimmed. So that's where we do get that because it's easy to trim and uh, the dialogue when you're panning down like that. Yeah, I'm just hopeful that they haven't made the big mistake. I think we have actually a little bit of feedback that we'll talk about later on. I'm really hopeful that they haven't made the big mistake with the character here to just think that Tammy could actually free him. Because she can't. She doesn't have that power. The FBI are all over the kingpin of New York who got released to give them information here. Um, so I'm hoping that they haven't just made that mistake that Tammy could have actually freed him because he's in her pocket. It feels like there's actually more to it than that and maybe it just hasn't come out yet and maybe it's coming out in the future episode. But just to put a fine point on it because... This episode absolutely does. Just by the way, fellow defenders, if you have watched season three of Daredevil and you got to episode 11 and didn't realize that Wilson Fisk is an allegory for uh, for Donald Trump, the current president of the United States, they absolutely underline it for you here. Did you know the hotel he was staying in is the presidential hotel? Do you know he's going to call out all of the press as fake news? <laughs> well, they do it all right here in the press conference. In fact, some of the uh, some of the posters this time in the audience are specifically ones that would be at anti-Trump rallies. Uh, totally understandable. We don't get political on this podcast, and we've avoided really getting into it too much, but they absolutely want to make sure you know that this is what Donald Trump, the kingpin of New York, would be saying in a press conference if he got it, got released from prison. Yeah, uh, it, it's a not-too-veiled no. <laughs> uh, allegory, I thought. The one thing I'm interested to see is 
Um, they do mention he is now an, uh, a CI. He's an asset, a continued mm-hmm. asset uh, for the FBI. Obviously, we know why that is, but it will be interesting to see when he goes out, if he decides to go after not just the six uh, people who were around the table previously, mm-hmm. um, but is he going to go further afield? Is he going to go after the Yakuza as well? Is he going to go after the triads? Is he going to go after the the tigers and th- the hatchets and things if any like of them that? Were left, of course. <laughs> yeah, especially since we haven't had any reference of the hatchets or the tigers since season two of Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. So you would think because they are now a conjoined force, uh, which we find out at the end of season two. Yeah, they they are controlling quite a large chunk of the Chinatown. So you would think. At some point, Fisk will kind of do what he was doing in season one, which is try and bring everyone back to the table. So I'm hoping we get some kind of a, a nice just kind of understanding nod, which is where they are. I know we've only had one nod this season to uh, to those two groups, the the Tigers and the uh, and the Hatchet Gang. We saw it on the uh, notepad that Foggy was talking about, uh, the conspiracy behind Fisk. I just wonder if the show was just being written around the same time and they couldn't use them because they didn't really have a decision as to what was happening at the end of Iron Fist Potentially. Uh, going into Daredevil because, again, while they do come out sequentially for us, they're obviously all taking place at the same time and being filmed at the same time. I know they all you know, work on the same row, but possibly they couldn't uh, obliquely reference them because they were being so heavily used over in Iron Fist, maybe. Maybe that's all it Could was. Um, but we do know Fisk goes after one other thing, though, in this episode. Going on to case note number three, Fisk goes after his painting. Well, at least he feels it's his painting. Yes, Rabbit in the Snow. Well, we also get to hear that Vanessa is on her way back to New York mm-hmm. and that he's tracked down then the owner or, or the person who has contested his ownership of uh, the painting that Vanessa gifted to him. Rabbit in the Snowstorm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we kind of get this really interesting moment between um wilson fisk and the elderly lady of esther falb um who talks of her parents having this taken from them during um the the roundup of the jewish population in germany at the hands of the nazis and the painting being forcibly taken from her family by Mm -hmm. the nazis Uh, and Ultimately, she calls out here again, you could argue another uh, reference uh, to the current president of the United States. But Esther compares Fisk uh, to their kind. It uh, doesn't say that he is, but to their kind uh, and refuses his plea to have the painting returned. So again, this is quite another bold statement here. Given that we've just seen Fisk give that press conference um, to a baying crowd who are booing him as well, um, we then get this moment where Esther really says that um, he is one of the kind that um, did the stuff to her family and stole this painting uh, back in the 1930s uh, or the 1940s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, this is a really interesting moment. Um, it's actually quite an unexpected moment. Yes. Like For me, I was not expecting that it would go this way. I, I did think that Maybe Vanessa really wasn't with him anymore and she was the one that was contesting it, given that she had gifted it to him. Um, I certainly didn't think we would 
um, take this turn. And it was an interesting one for me um, to hear that. Certainly, as you say, given what we've mentioned in Case Note 2, then this is fairly topical um, in many respects. So, yes, this was uh, really interesting uh, it, in, in this moment where Fisk goes after the rabbit in the snowstorm, which sure. has been such a prized possession uh, and a comfort blanket to Wilson Fisk. Yeah, no, I, I really do think this is a really interesting scene. It's almost a very small version of Spider-Man movie, uh, that moment where the New Yorkers are standing beside Spider-Man and saying, you know, we all believe in you, Spider-Man, you're our hero. It's almost seeing a little bit of that. And it's nice to see. You've got a TV show here. It doesn't have to be just the heroes versus the villains. You've got to also know that the people on the street are actually behind the right thing and behind the right side, and they actually see that regardless of what Fisk is telling to the media, he is the villain of the show. You've got to see a bit of that. And it's quite an interesting way to do it, though, in this in this episode. I have to say, her choice of words to Fisk is quite interesting. Uh, when she says, you know, that this painting was taken from her father, her father died in front of her, and then says to Fisk, do you know what it's like to see your father take his last breath on the floor in front of you? Well, of course, Fisk does, because he's the one that made his father take his last breath on the floor bleeding out in front of him from a hammer that Fisk killed him with. Um, so there is that moment with Fisk. And then I love that Fisk seems to believe that everybody else cares what his opinion is. And she doesn't care at all. Her opinion is, get out of my house. It's my painting, basically. That's all she wants. And she's saying to him, I don't like you. You will never get it. And he goes to her, well, I suppose Vanessa would want you to have it then, since it seems to mean more to you than it does to me, or you're saying that Vanessa would want you to have it. And she goes, I don't care what Vanessa would want. Why do you think I would care? that? And really what he's saying is, I'm not going to kill you because I've rationalized it in my mind as to why I'm not, I no longer want the painting. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, there is that moment where they're either side of the coffee table when she is standing up to him. And it, it, it does feel a bit like that moment in, uh, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, where the Urukai is taking the bow to Sean Bean, who's knelt down. It, it feels, you know, this diminutive figure of Esther Falb, um, up against the hulking figure of, of Wilson Fisk. And you're just kind of wondering, okay, what is going to go down here? Of course, I thought he took it out on his security detail in the back of the, the car later on. Um, I, I thought that was the reason why he did that. Nope. But it, but it isn't. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it was really, really interesting. Uh, this can I give one more little piece of credit to Esther Fab as well? That moment when he rings her doorbell, she goes and answers the door and says, shoes off. I know who you are, <laughs> which is just that little moment where she makes him bend over undo his shoelaces, take off his shoes, and then come into the house. It's that moment where she's effectively saying, my home, my rules. Uh, brilliant moment of Fisk. You can see he's just totally perturbed that somebody would ask him, him, to deign to their rules. It's fabulous. Yeah. So well played by Vincent Sinofria, obviously, but also by Esther, Esther Fab as well. Yeah, this was such a, an interesting overall scene. I was expecting, kind of like a pendulum swinging with uh, kind of like a sort of Damocles, it's going to fall at some point. And I was just mm -hmm, expecting yeah. him to flip the table, kind of. But then you're right, he kind of rationalizes in his own head. I do think they may call back to it. Mm -hmm. If something happens to Vanessa, I, I think he'll, I want that painting. Get it for me. Right. That type of interesting bow down, 
But with two episodes left, maybe that will not happen. Exactly, exactly. I like it. There's a lot more. On, there's a lot more to this. Probably, we're like we're supposed to understand that Fisk is not above mercy if it's for his own benefit. But it's very veiled. <laughs> so I say like, I had to think about it to kind of go. Okay, well, look, he, he's rationalizing. Oh yeah, okay, now I get it. Um, yeah. It's not as in the foreground as I expected. Um, I, li- I liked it anyway. Yeah, and you, and you're totally right, John, as well. At that moment when he's in the back of the car and he finds out that Karen is not dead, she's still alive, she didn't get killed by the guy that can kill someone from across the room with a pencil. You know, he's in the car getting told that by a security detail. And you're absolutely right, John. It's not because he's been denied the painting, but certainly the anger and frustration that's still in him from that moment with her is probably coming out yeah it's all built up yeah in this moment which i think is almost as brutal as the season one car door moment um where wesley walks away while he's smashing the head in one of his guys with a car door this scene where he puts the guy's own coat over his head to protect his fists so he doesn't get covered in his blood and beats him to a pulp uh, that's pretty damn brutal um what's also interesting i think is that there is a police escort behind him and a police escort in front of him, and he's telling the driver to just pull over to the side and drop the body out. I know the FBI are on his side. I know he's got the police in his pocket, but that's some balls to be able to make that call to kill someone in your car, pull over to the side while you've got a police escort, you know? He is the kingpin. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. He's man. This is the Wilson Fisk, the kingpin I have always had in my Spider-Man brain. The man mm-hmm. who is poised, clear, businessman, ruthless. He's Vincent D'Onofrio now, but it's that flip of a dime where he can beat someone to a pulp with his bare fists. And we've seen that splintered through like the previous seasons, but much like the video game, this man is a hulking mask with such a short fuse. But he keeps it yeah. under check. But yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and I love in, I love in some of the comic books as well that Wilson Fisk has become mayor of New York as well because he's quite a rational speaker. He's a good public speaker. He has risen quite high in public office in the past because of that. Because people do believe what he says sometimes, and he does look like a businessman. And he does look a little bit like a simpleton at times. He can make himself look like that. But you see the violence in him as well. You know, I love I love that they have that kind of juxtaposed two sides of. Uh, Wilson Fisk in the show as well as uh, in the comic books. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Case on number four, the reunion. We finally see the two sides of Matt. We talked about it at the very beginning of this episode. Emo Matt is there in this episode, but also (laughs) we get happy smiley Matt as Foggy and Karen and the man in black meet on the top of their building or Matt's building, I should say. Yeah, it was so, it was really, really nice to have the gang back together. Mm-hmm. I, I really liked this moment. I thought it was done really well. Um, as I say, it just, it just put a massive smile across my face. Then Matt smiled and I shared a little tear of joy, uh, that he was in a better place. Um, which is just amazing how, uh, much you care for the characters and it, you know, they, they've been separated. Uh, for in the defenders, effectively, you know, they they felt quite distant from one another mm-hmm. because of how um in season two of Daredevil that they had kind of drifted apart, and then um like now Matt's been pretty bad with them, you know, um and and kind of been a bit on high. Love the fact that they're back together. 
Matt doesn't want them to be around still because he's worried that they will obviously die um, with what he wants to do and what he's asking of them if if he does, which is to go after Wilson Fisk. Um, but that Foggy, you know, little Foggy Bear is the one that diffuses this whole situation with, um, you know, one, we work together. Two, we come up with a plan. Three, we execute that plan. And, you know, that's what draws this massive smirk and smile on the face of Matt Murdock. You know, he knows he's got his foggy Nelson back and Karen Page, certainly after the moment that, you know, him and Karen have shared that moment in the crypt um, of uh, Clinton's church mm-hmm. as well. So really... Really nice moment. Loved this. Yeah. Big time. Like, I love that Karen's still kind of placating either side of the argument. You know, uh, Matt's telling them that he's going to go and kill Fisk and Foggy's going to him. No, you have to have faith in the justice system. You used to have it before. Why can't you have it now? You know, it, it's that really positive, wonderful Foggy that's there. And, you know, that smile can be misread. It can be misread as it being just incredulous at Foggy come up with a plan. But you're right. It reads to me anyway as Matt going, that's my Foggy. At least he's still got his sense of humour. At least he's still got his positive outlook. And that's kind of what Matt needs at the moment. Yeah, I really agree with you. Um, Foggy is the counterbalance to emo Matt. Mm -hmm. Karen is the other balance. So basically she she pushes the emo with all the her kind of backstory and self-deprecation, but there's love there. Foggy, no matter how much trouble he is in, he'll find a smile. And combined, yeah. they're able to bring out the best in Matt. Mm-hmm, exactly, yeah. And it is really interesting because we do get that moment that John mentioned earlier on, that uh, that Karen and Matt had their moment earlier on in the crypt where Karen reveals to Matt all of the past. She reveals to him about her brother dying in the car crash. She reveals to him about her murdering Wesley and says to him he doesn't want to take that step and kill someone. Remember, the whole central arc of season two was Matt talking to the Punisher and saying, I won't ever kill anybody because that's not the end. The end is that they go to prison. They don't die. That was the conversation they were having the whole time. And we have Karen trying to save Matt's soul here, saying to him, you know, you die, you lose a piece of your soul. You don't want to do that. You want to find another way around this. It's quite interesting to put her in that position, uh, especially because she worked with the Punisher in the past. It's kind of interesting to have, yeah, to have her have that conversation with her. Yeah, and what I really want now is the third arm, which is the Catholicism to come in and talk about the soul and redemption. Because the Catholic Church and God have always been a very central figure within Daredevil. So what I really Mm. want now is with Father Lantham gone, I want Sister Maggie to come in and provide the motherly, but also the nun element to have that chat to go. You can't kill. You aren't that you can be a vigilante, but you don't cross that line. Um, Cause Mm. I really want, I think that's going to be, like that's there the redemption arc for Sister Maggie. Mm. I'm not too sure whether the Catholic Church is going to get redeemed in this season uh, with Matt. I'm not sure whether there is a bridge that's buildable back to that. We might see him go into confession in the last episode. That might be the final moment for Matt Murdock. Um, but I don't know whether we have time in two episodes to actually get any kind of realistic matching back to the Catholic Church in this season. I'm just not sure. But it, I totally agree with you, Chris. Yeah. It is it is central to his character. He has lapsed a few times over the years of course but uh it, it would be an odd place to leave him at the end of the series having no contact with the yeah and it doesn't need to be 
I'm fully back on board. As you said, it can be mm-hmm. him going into the confessional because it is like he says that him and God aren't on the same terms anymore, and he like mm-hmm. he's not even sure God's there. So it, it's very much what well, maybe even if they go, look, we're fighting the same fight, but we're going to do it different ways. You're on your team. I'm on my something along those lines, because it, he has to have that central tenant in him that he will not yeah. kill. Because as soon yeah. as he kills, as soon as he takes a life, it's irredeemable. Uh, and it's an unbreakable sin or an unfallible sin. I can't remember what they call an irredeemable sin. There's a specific set of sins that as soon as you do them, you're out of you're out of heaven. You're never going to be like the, the Catholic Church hates you for that type of thing. Anyway, I'm not sure. I think you might be mixing up the curses from Harry Potter. I do like that you have referred to Sister Maggie as the non-element in well, the show. Speaking of, I was pre- walking home and I used to live across from a convent. <gasps> and I have been told... Um, because I didn't catch myself doing this. I called it a nunnery. Right. Much like a cannery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I've been calling it that unbeknownst, because in my head I'm like, it's a convent, it's fine. And I've just been going, yeah, down by the nunnery. And people are like, what's a nunnery? I'm like, oh, yes, okay, sorry. I would have used nunnery, though. No, Definitely. that's not the right word. No, I know it's, it's not, but I know it's a convent, but I would say nunnery as well. Yeah, it's kind of, it, it's just, it's yeah. a friendly, nice, it's a little old yeah. nunnery. Anyway, speaking of Foggy's plan, we work together, <laughs> we come up with a plan, and we execute a plan. Mm-hmm. Okay, well... We'll figure out the plan as we go along. This is brilliant. It's just a nice way to end this reunion. Absolutely. And that is what's going to happen at the end of the season, right? We don't, any of us, believe that Matt is going to murder anybody in this show. He's not going to kill Kingpin, right? It's going to be Foggy's plan that prevails. Kingpin will be going to Supermax prison uh, to maybe fight in Spider-Man 3 over in the Sony universe and have Wilson Fisk over there fighting against Spider-Man. <laughs> but I don't believe for a second that Matt's actually going to kill Wilson Fisk. No, I don't either. I think because that actually perfectly kind of leads us on to case on number five. But Karen says we need to figure someone else who's going to point the finger, who can attest under oath to how bad Fisk is in terms Mm -hmm. of his, his, how deep it all goes and the FBI, etc. And one of the central tenets of that is we need to keep him alive. And I was like, well, at least you're saying that now. That's a good thing. You're thinking ahead. Well done, guys. (laughs) So that idea you can see the light bulb flash above matt's head and then it brings us to the character who's going to do this for them who's going to Mm. under oath they go to nadim so case of number five an attack on nadim's house yeah interesting isn't it so he has been absolutely thrown under the bus by poindexter uh you mentioned it earlier on john i think um it is interesting poindexter has failed in his job he was the only one in the church he had many opportunities to kill Karen Page. He was a little bit too relaxed, didn't take his opportunity to kill Karen Page, and then obviously was defeated by Matt Murdock. Matt Murdock stopped him killing Karen Page, and then Karen Page stopped him killing Matt Murdock, and he ran away. But he blames Nadim for this, and Nadim is the one at fault here, which is why these people are sent to Nadim's home to kill him. Yeah, I mean, he's he's really projected his failure onto Ray Nadim, because even that moment where uh, Ray effectively allows Karen to get handed over to the NYPD. Mm -hmm. You see 
even if it is in all good consciousness, you know, Maggie, Sister Maggie does ask him, are you a, an ethical man? Are you a man of morality? You know, she, she clocks the fact that, uh, there's something off about the FBI, but she clocks even more so that, uh, Rainadim, uh, seems to have some underlying honesty and truth and integrity about him. Mm-hmm. And, even if he wasn't any of that and he was now so afraid of his life and his family's uh, well-being as to go in with Wilson Fisk, I would say that's the sensible play that you would have made. You would have not have allowed Poindexter to go all guns blazing. Yeah. And that's, you know, this, as you say, Chris, is the creation of Bullseye on his own where he is absolutely freelance and he doesn't care about anything even wilson fisk uh that is the smart play to move is like let her go with the nypd we know where she is uh follow her you know whatever so then all of a sudden when poindexter goes you really messed up here ray you really messed up here and it seems to get back to wilson fisk that it was ray and adeem that messed up i'm kind of like going Okay, this really seems massively harsh on, mm-hmm. on poor Rainadim. If anything, he should have been attacked for his crazy paving house. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they are, okay? Yeah. Maybe it's, it's the neighbors who've gotten together to hire some, some yeah, exactly. killers to come in and take him out. He's ruining the yeah. neighborhood. It's way too oppressive for the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of just off topic slightly, um, okay. I really did like Mahoney's little scene. When he's oh, yeah, dropping absolutely. off uh, Karen and Foggy, showing like he he even mentions like I, I he goes I shared that on my wall. I was like, no one calls it a wall anymore, but okay, I'll let you away mm-hmm. with it, Netflix. Oh well, I'll let I'll let Mahoney away with it. He's not, he's not well known as a social media guy. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that's kind of the that's kind of the gag as well. It's great actually. I did I did put it in our notes and didn't mention it there, but the reunion is also the fact that we have Mahoney back on their side, back believing in the cause that Foggy's bringing to him and Karen's bringing to him. It's kind of with Mahoney going. I didn't realize the FBI could be in the, in the pocket of Wilson Fisk until I saw it for myself. And I absolutely believe you're right here. Now that I've seen it for myself with my own two eyes, I am totally on board with you. Future DA, you know, kind of cool. Yeah. And it's great. I, I, I'm kind of happy to see where it goes. Mm hmm. Great to have him back. Yeah. Yeah. It really is, isn't it? But anyway, back to Nadim. So we see him rush into his driveway. He, he runs up the stairs, the broken vase, finds his kid and his wife brushing their teeth. Um, freaks them the hell out yeah absolutely i don't care who you are I, I'm, I know we don't have guns i know i get it we've mentioned this before in other shows like punisher and, and other shows we don't have guns in our countries we don't carry them we don't own them if you run into the house rush into the house and run into the bathroom with your gun pointed at my head i am gonna wee myself i yep. kick you out yeah that's, it. <laughs> that's that's what happens i don't care how nervous you think i am i don't care whether you think i've been kidnapped do not rush in and point a gun at my head. Yeah, <laughs> you get into the bathroom. Yeah, and the poor kid handles it well. The the wife, the wife, uh-huh. not so much. Um, she goes, oh, "Ray, you're scaring me. You can be scared later." I'm like, "Ah, oh, come on now. Yeah. That's not how you calm down your significant other." <laughs> That's Terminator style, right there, isn't it? Come with me if you want to live. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. He, they they start their way down. We get the beautiful. Oh, someone's just run by the window. Someone's just outside the downstairs door, out mm-hmm. uh, not to the garage, but it looks like they have way too many exit points on the house. I'm just saying, 
Uh, and then someone has come in through the sliding patio. <laughs> well, way too many entrance doors, definitely. Well, hold on. If it's an entrance, it's an exit. Yeah. Exits are great when you're trying to get out of the house, which they're trying to do. <laughs> but entrance points are really bad when people are carrying guns and coming at you. Yeah, there but are yeah, a lot I, of doors. I was wondering whether I was watching Haunting Hill House with the amount of shadows that were going on in the background, you know? <laughs> there are too many ghosts here, but they're all carrying guns this time. And... We get a couple of shots. First, I must say, I want to know whether these guys are FBI agents or just trained fist killers, because if they're FBI, they're bad shots. That I think they might be training in stormtrooper school. Yeah, kind of. That first two shots to, to Ray, he was standing in the middle of the, of the corridor of the hall and they shot at him and then he kind of plants his back against the little kind of back brace, uh, the little kind mm-hmm. of column. And That's there common. we can see the two bullet holes that they first, the shots mm-hmm. they fired, are smack into the wall. So if I'm the shooter and I'm looking straight ahead and Raina Deem is slightly to the right and I shoot at him and then he runs to the <laughs> left and hides behind the column, somehow my bullets are on the left. I'm like, hmm. I absolutely no help, Chris. All I know is that... uh None of them were standing still. None of them was waiting to get shot and raise a moving target. I guess you can, you can yeah. say that not every shot goes in, but Ray does pull off an awesome shot straight to the head of the, the first guy that, that actually pops up inside the house right in front of his wife and son. It is true. But more importantly, so we skip forward. We, there's a couple more men there and then we get Matt. Matt is in there. Matt cleans up a bit. It feels like Ray was like a, a hair's breadth away from getting shot just as Matt arrives. Yes. Um, it feels like Matt might have even been standing back waiting for the moment to step in um, when Ray might not have randomly shot him as well. You know, uh, it feels it feels like that moment that Matt's saving him, but only after he knows that Ray couldn't save himself, maybe. Yeah, I just love I just have this vision of Matt standing in the shadow going, wait for it. Wait, wait for, for it, it. <laughs> yeah. wait for it, and then, pff, oh, I waited too long, and runs after her. <laughs> <laughs> I did like the scene. Matt had to have known that the bad guy who points the gun at him, back of his head, and he has his arms up, had to have known there was no bullet in there. So, second time watching, because John thought exactly the same thing. First time watching, Matt is the one that picks up the gun, empties the clip, and puts it and puts uh... it on the floor, and then drops the gun back to the guy who's been knocked out by Ray previously. Guy wakes up from being knocked out by Ray, picks up the gun that's empty and tries to fire it on him. Because I was going, man, that guy's cocky. <laughs> I was, again, waiting for the world on fire that he sees inside the gun and sees that there's no bullet to click against or something. But we get none of that. This is just because Matt sorted it out a second beforehand. So, uh, that makes it. more sense. So I missed that. It does, doesn't it? I was like, really? First time I was going, that's pretty cocky of him. But hey, he's got superpowers. He must know. <laughs> second time I'm going, oh, he set it up. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of, I really want to see World on Fire at least once. We have two more episodes. It's Fingers crossed. Not going to happen. Look, hey, no. let, let a man have his dream, okay? Let a man have his dream. <laughs> now, I'm thinking this season they're they're playing it differently. Different directors, different showrunners, different writers. Uh, they're all doing it very differently this season, and they're trying to make it much more grounded. They don't have to tell you their superpowers, but they just have to tell you, this is Daredevil. He's got superpowers, <laughs> but we're not going to show them to you as such. So everything you don't understand, superpowers. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but then we get the fantastic ending, which is, I trust you, and he takes off his mask as Ray saves him. First of mm, all, Ray pistol whips the other guy, which looked like it hurt. Uh, but yeah. anyway, and then he reveals his identity to Ray. 
which I think is potentially the best look on Ray's face when he goes, a blind guy is saving me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm expecting that conversation to happen, hopefully in the next episode. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, but how do you see? Uh, is it all fake? <laughs> the world on fire. I haven't described this for three seasons, but I'm going to do it right now. <laughs> <laughs> see, that's where my hope comes from. It is interesting, and I know we've got two episodes left of the series. I I hate to put someone on Death Watch two episodes from the end of the series, but a member of the FBI now knows who Matt Murdock is. Mm, kind of thinking you team up with Daredevil and might be a stray bullet here and there. Um, yes. I'm not sure if Ray Nadim is going to survive the series. Mm, maybe. That may happen, but the best thing is it was nice to get all of our main cast back together again. Absolutely. So that wraps up all of our case notes for this episode. Mm-hmm. Yes, let's get on to the notes. Chris, any notes? So, no, the only note from me really is that we still are on the watch out for um, Stanley's cameo in this season. I, I've gone a bit eagle-eyed. I've, I'm trying to look in the background. Um, nothing yet. Um, so maybe very much like Jessica Jones, it will be in the very last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's wait and see on that one. Yeah. Good to see Officer Mahoney back in this episode and the captain of the police department from, uh, from Defenders makes an appearance as well. So, uh, nice to see a bunch of people back, uh, from the other series, uh, in here. One for me, cause she's from a movie I absolutely love. The actress who plays Esther Flaub, uh, is Leslie Ann Warren, uh, the owner of the painting Rabbit in the Snowstorm. Um, she, was in a movie called Clue in the 80s. She played Miss Scarlet, one of my absolutely favorite comedy performances. I'm well known on Defenders TV podcast as being the guy who hates comedy. Uh, if you've never seen the movie Clue, <laughs> watch it. It makes me laugh every time. You'll at least see my sense of humor. <laughs> if you, if you want, if you don't understand why I don't like most comedy movies, it's because nothing ever lived up to Clue after that in the 80s. Yeah. So. Clue is fantastic. Yeah. And Tim Curry, amazing as well Still. as Leslie Ann Warren, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. And for all of our European friends, Clue is just essentially Cluedo. It's the US name for the the board game Cluedo. Yes. Well, yes, but the movie's still called Clue over in Europe as well. So, yes, so no, you know, no, no, so no. don't look up yeah. Cluedo because there's no movie called Cluedo yet. It is being remade, I think, by Seth Rogen. It's been in the works for years, but go see the original, especially with the four different endings for it. Excellent, excellent film. Just a quick bit of IMDb trivia. I did not find this one myself, but I did notice there's a little inscription above the door that Sister Maggie's trying to open and fumbling with the keys that reads Custos Diaboli which means Devil's Keeper, which is effectively Sister Maggie. It's kind of cool. Ah, oh, that's nice. How do you say this is really cool in Latin? Go, Derek. This is really cool. Eo. <laughs> <laughs> or you just go pig Latin go, Esti culio, maybe? <laughs> See, anything can work when you go pig Latin. I think that was the name of Coolio's second album, wasn't it? <laughs> The one after Gangster Paradise that nobody bought. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. You guys have one last note for this? Yes. The signs at the Kingpin conference um, are the same as the ones protesting uh, his stay in the hotel originally, with a couple of exceptions, uh, with puns on Risk and Fisk. We get a, a free Fisk puts the city at risk is probably one of the best ones. But weirdly, one of the crowd is holding up a speech from Network that Derek mentioned last week. We're mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore. And of course, as well, that is all about the truth in 
media. Mm-hmm. And also we mentioned about Wilson Fisk saying fake news, the lies in, in the media and all this kind of thing. And it, obviously his um, striking similarity to a certain person who may... Um, be in charge of the White House at this moment in time. Well, is at the at the point of recording. Yes, that's right. Yeah, uh, network was <laughs> was based on uh, the effectively the time around uh, Nixon being in office as well, so relevant at that time as well. So uh, yeah, but really interesting that I mentioned it last week that I thought Karen was going to have that moment of we're mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore, but it actually turns into a sign in this episode, which is really fun that they uh, that they obviously have the same mindset that I did about that last episode. Uh, that's all of my notes for the episode. Anything else, Chris? No, that's all for me. So, gentlemen, I think with that, it's about time we wrap up our defense. Kicking it off, John, take us away. Do you defend this episode of Daredevil? Season 3, episode 11, Reunion. Uh, yes, I do defend this episode. Um, and actually, it, it's gotten better as we've discussed it, really, for me. Uh, I give this four wacky shirt collars and a crazy paving house out of five. Um <laughs> Like, just because of the ride it gave me. I mean, I loved the reunion, what's not to like about it. Um, and I really enjoyed Dex's stress in this episode uh, and certainly how it was directed at Ray. It was directed at, um, Sister Maggie and ultimately it was directed at the inside of the back of a van. Um, so I really kind of enjoyed, uh, his, his frustration boiling out here. I really liked Raina Deem's um, journey as well. And I loved the fact that it ended in this reveal by Matt Murdock to him in, in that way of gaining trust and, and cementing that relationship. And that's mainly because I think with Raina Deem, he's one of those characters where, you know, there's a lot of exposition. There's a lot of plot, um, being used around him to to carry the story and i think it's really nice that he got this moment here um i mean he's he's had moments absolutely but this i feel really did feel like a a reynadine centric episode Uh, i think he was harshly done by you know um by both Wilson Fisk and by Poindexter. Uh, and, and then we have this really intriguing moment with, um, Esther Falb and, uh, her conversation with, uh, Wilson Fisk that I really just was not expecting. And I think how that links in with, uh, the Wilson Fisk, uh, speech and the talk of fake news and who he is kind of being, maybe compared to here, I thought it was really, really interesting. Um, so I absolutely defend this episode of uh, Daredevil. Chris, do you defend this episode of Daredevil Reunion? I do defend this, I really do. Particularly the, for the rationale of seeing Happy Math, seeing the reunion. This is kind of where we wanted to leave it uh, at the end of this episode or the end of the season. Now, I'm hoping it gets a bit further in, but we can wait and see on that. We don't get political on this show, but I really did love the allegories that they were putting in here and for the reasons that they were doing it. More that art imitates life and life imitates art. It was just very well done. It was, it wasn't crass and in your face. It was veiled, but one of those translucent veils, you know, the ones you can put your hand behind very sheer and you can kind of, oh, I can still see that's a hand. So veiled, not at all, just a bag on its head is what you're saying. Okay. With eye holes cut out and a fake nose drawn on and kind of, yeah, that with a top hat. Children do not put a bag on your head. No. Paper, fine. (laughs) 
You can't see through a paperback, Chris. That's why I say you cut out the holes. <laughs> ah, Bagman, Spider-Man reference. So yeah, no, look, I really enjoyed this, and I'm kind of eager to see where they continue it on. Mm-hmm. They leave it in a very interesting place because Derek, as you said. A member of the FBI now knows who Daredevil is, who Matt Murdock is. More importantly, Matt is becoming Daredevil again. Mm-hmm. Will he take the name? Will he put on the suit? I don't think he'll take the suit, but I think he'll take the name right. and kind of reclaim his name. Because at the moment, the world thinks Daredevil's a killer. Yep. The world. So we've got two hours left in this season to see where they take it. So I do defend this episode of Daredevil. Derek, do you defend this episode of Daredevil? I absolutely defend this episode. Daredevil is really, really exciting, really interesting. I loved seeing Maggie straight off the bat using her powers as a nun to listen in on every conversation so she can deal this information to Karen and Matt and keep them safe. Uh, one thing I didn't mention in the notes, nice little touch there. Did you see where Matt and Karen were hiding? They were hiding in a coffin because, well, Deborah Ann Wall came from um, True Blood to come and join Daredevil, so she spent some time in the coffin in the past. <laughs> nice little touch there. Excellent stuff. <laughs> there yeah, yeah. That's one of my notes. But so much good stuff going out of this episode. Great to see all of these people reunited. Great to see Dex starting to fall apart as well, because it felt like he was getting so cocky last episode that everybody else in the room around him was just being under the control of Fisk, but he's now found his perfect place, but things aren't going right for him, so I'm wondering how he's going to react when we get into episode uh, 12 and 13. So really intrigued. Interesting also to see Wilson Fisk not get what he wants and uh, not throw the dummy out of the pram, but rationalize why he shouldn't throw the dummy out of the pram. Uh, it's what I what I liked seeing. It's nice to see somebody stand up to Wilson Fisk. It felt like a scene you probably didn't need in the episodes, but by the same token, not having it there would have made the episode a bit worse for me. So I'm very happy with what we got in this episode. I guess time to get on to some feedback. Yes. Uh, remember, fellow defenders, that feedback can come through our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast. Email at feedback at Defenders TV podcast.com. Voicemail over on our website at Defenders TV podcast.com and go to the tab on the right hand side and leave up to 90 seconds of voicemail but first off we have some feedback following our podcast on daredevil uh, episode nine mike brown says i always felt that for being a millionaire fisk suits look cheap and wrinkled <laughs> it's because he's going for the shiny white suits isn't it yeah it, it is it looks a little shell suity to it's be honest awful it's absolutely awful especially when you see them all lined up side by side by sides they just look terrible it's really cheap okay you say that to wilson's fisk's face Never. he may have terrible taste in clothes but no one's gonna ever tell him you know i wouldn't even say it to vincent d'onofrio uh, even if he knows the suits are cheap looking and tacky i wouldn't even say it to him <laughs> tina brown says i'm laughing i noticed the parents issues in these shows but you're completely correct almost all comic book heroes have broken families there was a time i worked in a lot of romance novels and without fail the way to shorthand the hero was to make him a veterinarian that was all you needed because you were supposed to read all sorts of good things into the character without having to do all the work to establish it he works with animals clearly he's also kind compassionate caring loving gentle and genuine Uh, even if it's masked by a crusty exterior in a way it's a bit more creative because facing the demise of your parents either makes you a superhero or a supervillain <laughs> Thanks so much for the Tina. At least, yeah, I think at least they use a slightly different uh, run for comic books that is not uh, not a vet- veterinarian every single time. So uh, thanks for that. Yeah, thank you, Tina. Um, yeah, I like the fact that veterinarian is shorthand for good. It could also be a shorthand for evil. 
<laughs> so over on our Facebook group, we had feedback for episode 10. And as we mentioned before, it was a pretty divisive episode. So first up, we have Alyssa Lynn Moskva, who said, Episode 10 was a good episode. Glad to finally learn Karen's backstory. And it's certainly jarring to see such a different version of her in the past. Definitely not the Karen we know. The bullseye fight was epic. Particularly loved the scene where Matt kicks him in the face. <laughs> Definitely giving me 2003 movie vibes since it was a church fight, but of course t- done 10 times better. The scene where Karen knocks Bullseye off the balcony was great, and the cinematography and comic parallel of Karen holding Matt damaged body, poetic Justin, Karen lives in this universe. I hate the girlfriend dies trope. Mm-hmm. I am so sorry Father Lantham is gone. Such a positive influence in Matt's life. I'm sure this is something Matt will beat himself up about later, too, considering the last thing he said to Father Lantham was in anger. Mm-hmm. The content of this episode was solid, but the layout was a bit off-putting to me because halfway through Karen's backstory and half was the showdown in the church. It would have just flowed more naturally to me if those flashbacks were interspersed between the present day and the past. Mm. Thanks for that, Alyssa. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. It, it, actually, now thinking of that, the interspersed might have worked, but I, I, I'm kind of happy with the way they did it So now because I know if I'm ever going back uh, to rewatch this, I can just fast forward the first half of the episode and not worry too much about what I'm missing. Agree with you on the fights. It was just fantastic. And yes, you know how much I hate tropes, so definitely happy that the girlfriend lives in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, awful in this episode, and episode 11, the one we've been talking about, to see Father Lantham just sitting in the background with the Daredevil Billy Club still stuck out of his torso, because the FBI aren't there for that. If this had been a normal situation where they, were ju- where they weren't just looking for Karen and Matt, I'm sure his body would have at least been covered up and his body would have been taken away pretty quickly, but we see him still sitting in the background for a lot of the episode, which is quite sad, I'm sure quite difficult for uh, Sister Maggie to take. Yeah, I think seeing Sister Maggie's um, uh, reaction to seeing Father Lantern, uh, it was really, really uh, nicely played, I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Jeff Child says, It was good to get Karen's backstory, but it felt like they put the brakes on the season. I think they could have tightened up her story a bit. They did go out with a bang, though. I saw Father Lantern's death coming, but it was still heartbreaking. For me, this was probably the most emotional death in the Marvel Netflix universe. Matt has lost his North Star. Yeah, it's interesting. We were talking about uh, this that, in fact, Chris mentioned he felt it put the brakes on. You know, it it slightly uh, pulled away from maybe the momentum of what had been building uh, on the previous episodes. And I definitely see that um, side of it for sure. Um, Although, I think, like yourself, I really enjoyed... Uh, getting Karen's backstory, uh, mainly because I've been whinging about not having had it for, for so long. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's uh, an interesting thing. And, and certainly it was an episode of, of two halves for sure. Mm-hmm. But both halves being good, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely really enjoyed it. Uh, Brianne McGill, who's a new member of a Facebook group. Hi, Brianne. Welcome to the group. Nice yeah. to have you with Welcome, us. Welcome, Brianne. She says, I really like that they gave us Karen's backstory in a way that doesn't have her coming off so well. She made bad choices and a lot of what happened was directly her fault. She's a hero now, but wasn't always. I think it really speaks to one of the overarching themes of Daredevil as a whole, which is that nobody is too broken to not deserve a chance at redemption. That's a really good point, Brianne. I, I, I absolutely see that in the character of Karen. You know, we see in this episode when she reveals to Matt all about her past and the people that have, have been killed because of the, thing, the choices that she she's made and the things that she's done. The reason she says she didn't tell Matt is because she liked being seen as the innocent by Matt. I think that's a nice 
closeout of the backstory of Karen to me. Yeah. Thank you so much, Brianne, for the message. Ayanna Linja also had this to say on this episode. Scene in the church with Dex and Matt fighting. It reminded me so much of something I once read in a DD comic. They really got me there. And after giving us the full backstory, I was absolutely convinced Karen would die. I can't say how happy I am I was wrong. Yep, it's the trope, and they completely booked the trend. It was a well, good thing. It's not just a trope. You were absolutely right on it. You did read that in a comic book that is from Guardian Devil. That exact scene where Father Lantham dies was replaced uh, by Karen in the comic books, or the other way around. <laughs> the scene where Karen gets killed in Guardian Devil is replaced by Father Lantham in the TV show. So you absolutely did read it in the, in the comic books. Thanks so much for that feedback. Yeah, Preline Prelim Martha said, Seeing this episode made me see why she had the connection with the Punisher. I wish we had this in season two, but still happy we got it now. That church scene had me sitting on the edge of my seat the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, actually. You really get the sense of why she connects in with the Punisher uh much more with this episode, given that she's willing to take a pot shot at her, um, you know, her boyfriend Todd to protect her, her brother. Uh, and even though that despite the fraught relationship, you know, she is effectively hanging around in some ways a bit like her mother because she loves her dad and brother in the same way that Penny had hung around in that small town uh, because of the love of her husband, uh, Paxton. Yeah, the church scene really was edge of seat for everybody, wasn't it? Uh, Tina Brown says the church scenes were fantastic. I'm beyond thrilled that they're filling out Karen's character. But the one thing that continues to bug me is how instantly good she is at everything. In this episode, we get running the diner, target shooting and selling drugs to add to investigator, journalist and legal aid. But that aside, I do really like the claustrophobic feel of her small town life. Her move to New York makes a lot of sense. I'm also reminded of her date with Matt in season one. I didn't watch it. But I recall the funky restaurant she takes him to that would never exist in a small town, Vermont. I didn't read the comics, so this was very nice for me. Uh, yeah, interestingly, the, the restaurant that they went to in season one was that uh, Indian restaurant, uh, Panatu Garden uh, in New York, the one that we walked past, John. Yeah. You remember the one with all the lights all over it? Definitely. <laughs> that we didn't go into because I can't eat Indian food, unfortunately. Um, but it did look very cool. It looked really cool. I would love to have gone in there to eat Indian food because I love Indian food. Maybe next time Chris and yourself are over in, uh, in New York, you guys can go. Well, Chris yeah. is more than willing to pay for my flat across at the courtesy of his organization. <laughs> Just for Indian food in Panatu. Yes. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Love you, man. No problem. I'll try. Um, now, if any of our fellow defenders want to send me money to, to, to pay for John, that will work too. <laughs> Moving on to episode 11, we had this feedback on Facebook. Andrew Wilmot said episode 11 was really great Kingpin rose to ultimate power in this episode all the character work was fantastic Maggie was so heartbroken by Father Lantham the reunion with the avocados of law at the end was great as well Aww. yes I we could have talked about smashing avocados or uh, a good guacamole you need all the elements Karen's the onion Matt's the avocado <laughs> and there's some garlic and I don't know who the garlic is. I don't know who it's yeah. a sque- no foggy is a squeeze of lime. No, Matt's Matt's the lime because he's sour. Karen's the onion because some people don't like onions, some do, and Foggy's the avocado because everyone loves avocado. Yeah. Okay. okay. This is the most hipster conversation we've ever had on the podcast. Thanks for the feedback, Andrew. Yeah, thank you so much for the feedback, Andrew. 
Jamie Alexander says, Matt may get his violent tendencies from his father, but I'm starting to think his observational skills are 100% Maggie. <laughs> Heightened senses or not, I love how quick she is to realize that what's going on with Ray and Dex and how she notices Matt's blood on the corner of the bench. Yay, I am so glad Brett is once again on Matt and Foggy's side. He's seen crook cops before, so I knew he would see through the FBI's facade. I'm shocked Fisk let go of his precious painting, but there's the emotionally violent Fisk. Absolutely. I'm wondering if he will have fully let go of this painting. I somehow seem to think that Esther is going to be sort of... um found dead looking like an accident you know we've heard from uh, special agent hatley that her kids have died as a result so an elderly lady uh, or one of her children has died as a result of the kingpin so esther falb may not be totally safe yes i think and certainly yes fisk is back and he punches harder than ever before um, yeah, does he really need security guards given what he does to the security guard? Uh, me thinks, uh, not. And I definitely agree with you on the heightened senses of Sister Maggie. She is on fire with her observational skills. <laughs> She's fantastic. Yeah, Absolutely. Really does. good. Is her world on fire? She may well be on fire. I mean, her observational skills. He, I don't think he got that reference. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for feedback, everybody. It's really good to have all the feedback that we've had in. If you want to send a feedback on the entire season, please email us at feedback at defenders2podcast.com. If you want to send your feedback in as, as we watch the episodes, just pop on over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash defenders TV podcast. Yes, we'd also love to hear your dulcet tones on a quick voicemail to see what you thought of the whole season. So pop on over to DefendersTVPodcast.com and leave us 90 seconds of what you thought of everything. Just remember to let us know that it is a full season review because we want to hear your tones on this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, remember, please, fellow Defenders, subscribe to... Uh, our podcasts over at DefendersTVPodcast.com on any good or evil podcast catcher of your choice. Please head on over there, subscribe, rate us, leave a review. That would be awesome. Our next podcast will be for the penultimate episode of Daredevil Season 3 with Episode 12 and will be out on Friday. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to the second last episode of this season. It's been a really, really good season so far. Really excited to see what's coming up. Thanks so much for joining us again, fellow defenders. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you so much. I trust you, so do not reveal my identity. <laughs> yes, fellow defenders, thank you so much for listening. As always, it has been a pleasure. I'm off to contemplate our discussion on nunneries versus convents and have come up with this revelation, episode nine, that a nunnery is much like a bakery only where one produces buns the other produces nuns <laughs> that's great <laughs> <laughs> and we will be back to speak with you next time thank you so much bye bye
hope you enjoyed the episode. We had a great time recording this one. Uh, it did get a little bit giggly at points, so there's lots of outtakes coming up. The thing that none of us could remember while we were recording was the seven deadly sins, which are a real thing. Uh, so apologies for not remembering that. But here's some outtakes to make up for it. Dex Devil loses his prey. Yeah, he doesn't actually achieve his goal of killing Dread. Direct debit? <laughs> oh, Derek, that's, look how quickly that rolled off my tongue from all my years in customer services because it had DD written down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can you give him a better lead-in than blah, 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 OCC, you're a serial killer? Uh, so I can actually use that? Yeah, and speaking of OCD, Chris... <laughs> is that just his new name? <laughs> and so... And Chris, of course, speaking of OCD, uh, what were your thoughts on Wilson Fisk's suit? Well. Grand. But Ray does pull off an awesome shot straight to the head of the, the first guy that, that actually pops up inside the house right in front of his, uh, of his mother. And, uh, well, I hope not. <laughs> uh, let's hope not. Right in front of his wife and mother. Daughter. No, still not Daughter. them. Wife Two other son. members of the family. Wife and son. Yeah. Right <laughs> uh, the hills have eyes. <laughs> That's why he doesn't know cladding, man. Either that or there will uh, be a little mini hit. <laughs> so I do defend this episode of Daredevil. John. Nope. Hiya. I've known you longer, man. I know. Hey, look, I'm tired. <laughs> Derek, do you defend this episode of Daredevil? Facing the demise of your parents either makes you a superhero or a supervillain. <laughs> yes, or alternatively, uh, fills your loved pets with barbiturates to uh, put them down, of course. Okay, that was a bit dark. That was very dark. <laughs> <laughs> what are you, Matt Murdock? <laughs> I've smiled for the first time in five years. <laughs> was that not just a supervillain? <laughs> your pets with barbiturates, James. No, beloved pets. Oh, right. <laughs> The scene where Karen knocks bull, bulls... Mm, sorry. <laughs> sorry. No, I need to turn myself. In one. <laughs> the scene... <laughs> King Pong rose the ultimate power of this episode. All the character work was fantastic. Who's Ping Pong? Who's Ping Pong? Ping Pong. He has gone after children before, uh, as we hear uh, from Special Agent Hattie, um, from Special Agent Hatley. But uh... <laughs> Special Agent Hattie, <laughs> she's in the Mr. Ben universe where she goes and changes her hat every week and has adventures. <laughs> it's Hattie Wainthrop. <laughs> oh my gosh! Anyway. Um... <clears throat>